Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Gigabit Nation. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and we're here to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get broadband everywhere it needs to be. I'm not really sure that enough people outside of those running um, utility co-ops understand the significant contribution that co-ops can make to the um, community broadband picture. Um, Co-ops are well-suited operationally and financially to take on um, building broadband networks, especially in um, small and rural communities. I had a conversation with uh, Mark Erickson, uh, who's a key member of a broadband team that is getting broadband into several communities in Minnesota uh, under the uh, direction of RS Fiber. We uh, talked a number of things that are important, and we are going to now present that conversation for you. That's the way it developed as the opportunities presented themselves over the last five or six years. That's how long we've been working on this. Our first attempt to have the Joint Powers Board own the network, which would have been 10 cities and and two uh, counties, uh, and have high watts of broadband operated for us, didn't work on the financing. We got to within weeks of a bond sale, a revenue bond sale, and the bond attorney said he just couldn't let it go forward. There were some things he was concerned about. So at that time, we reconnoitered, and uh, there had been a cooperative form to represent the, the rural interests, a fiber cooperative, and uh, our financial advisor, uh, Shannon Sweeney from David Brown Associates, said, well, why don't the 10 cities sell a GO, a generally obligated tax abatement bond, and lend it to the private cooperatives as an economic development loan. That kind of stuff is done all the time in mm-hmm. Minnesota. Not so much for fiber, but, but for other uh, private ventures. And then they can leverage that down payment into some primary financing for the network. Well, it worked because it reduced the cost of our borrowing by $25 million. You have to borrow more under a revenue bond scenario. We had to take all the money at once, which put a strain on our cash flow. This way we can uh, manage the construction and manage the uh, financial planning much easier, and it, it uh, reduces our needed take rate for break-even, and it, we just had a bunch of wonderful people step up on the financial side, on the business planning side, on the cooperative side, on the uh, accounting organizational side, and they all work together. and. Two months ago, 10 cities, 10 city councils met in a room and uh, agreed to sell the bonds. And hmm. It was a big, a big uh, moment, and uh, that happened, and then the, a private cooperative had to finish up their primary financing, which they did last week. So the bond sale will probably happen in the next three to four weeks. And the uh, proceeds will be available immediately, and we'll start construction. Actually, work's kind of already started, uh, not in earnest, but there's a lot of stuff in the background that's happening. So it's it's, uh, it's an interesting project. It's a very unique 
public-private partnership because the cities in phase one will lend the money to build out a fiber backbone between the 10 towns and build out each of the towns. And then that'll take three years, but we're providing wireless, very high-speed 25 meg symmetrical wireless and phone service off our fiber, off of our fiber backbone this year, next year, in the, in 2017, and we'll reach the, a rural with that. And then in 2018, phase two kicks in, and we go back to the Joint Powers Board and we ask the rural townships to sell their portion of a geotax abatement bond and lend it to the cooperative, and then they'll build fiber to the farm. Wow. So by 2021, we will have built out a 650-square-mile area, 10 cities, and roughly 25 farm sites, uh, uh, 2,500 farm sites, with fiber to the farm. So it's a, it's an interesting project. Indeed, indeed. I, I, it's interesting on how this kind of came together. Um, so let's take some of this apart. Um, the co-op is, you could refer to it as being a private co-op? Yes, it's a, it's, in, in Minnesota, there's a lot of cooperatives of Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Wisconsin, and cooperatives of, of, of phone cooperatives, uh, school cooperatives, and we're a 308B, which allows an outside investor and uh, we formed with the help of a local ag cooperative who uh, lent us some legal expertise. And uh, they can uh, take investments from uh, public and private, and, they, and they've they done an equity drive and raised some equity, and the local banks in the area have participated, and uh, uh, people like this project because they see the promise, they see the potential, they see the benefit of fiber to the home and fiber to the farm and they want to be part of it. Mm-hmm. We want to change the way we live, learn, work, and play here in Sibley County, and this fiber network's going to allow us to do that. We're very excited. Definitely uh, has some uh, value uh, there. I am trying to understand the co-op thing, because um, my understanding is that the community uh, makes the co-op happen. Right, It's basically members of the Community, community come together and they're going to be, you know, a phone co- cooperative or whatever type of uh, co-op it's going to be, but basically it's, um, it's not, owned, it's, it's owned by the uh, members of the community. Is this... Well, it's, owned by, yeah, it, it's owned by the patrons of the cooperative. It's the most democratic form of uh, capitalism that there is, the People who subscribe to the service will own the cooperative, and every year they'll get a chance to vote for a new a board of directors. Right. So, uh, okay. So in that respect, it is maybe it's better to call it community versus um, uh, you know like a public entity because it's obviously not re- it's not influenced by the um. Joint Towers Board. No, the, the 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 cities have no say in the operation. Have no equity stake in the cooperative. They're not own the cooperative. Can't tell the cooperative what to do beyond the initial loan agreement. Right. That put in place when they lend the money to the cooperative. There's there's certain things they have to do 
with that money. And we'll spell that out. But once we lend them that money, the cooperative is a private business. And, uh, and they're going to make the bond payments on behalf of the cities, so the cities don't have to make those bond payments. And they will own and operate. And every year, we not the first two or three years that we build out, I think that the members will get a patronage check back to them. Uh, and uh, uh, cooperatives are interesting because they focus on maximizing benefit, not maximizing profit. And for a utility business, and what that's what this really is, it's a perfect combination. Because that's what the private telcos and the cable calls struggle with. They have to have that return on investment to satisfy their shareholders. Right. They have to maximize profit. Right, right. With the cooperative, they have to break even and put some money away for some future expansions, but they are about maximizing benefit, and that's what is such a wonderful fit here. Right. I think we're we're, we're having a a um, a slight disconnect is that the cooperative in the way that people present it and talk about it it's almost as if that it is a non-profit organization you know it's like a foundation or something like that and in reality it's sort of a, a different type of business not a different type of non-profit would that be a way to distinguish it a little bit that is correct they are a for-profit business. Uh, they have a board of directors who manages their affairs. They file and uh, excuse me. They file and pay income tax. Right. Okay. It's a it's a it's a, it's a hybrid of a a, a a traditional fiber. Or excuse me, it's a hybrid of a traditional a private business. There you go. Okay, because I think that you know when I wrote the my book. Uh, a couple of years ago, and we talked about the different types of uh, entities or options that communities have. I think I and a lot of other people sort of put the non-profit, or I'm sorry, put the the co-op in the non-profit category. In fact, that's exactly how I I printed it, presented it then. And in reality, as you're saying, it's a, it's a different type of hybrid. But it's one in which the community, as in the the members, be business or um, private or whatever those members are within the community, they are owners of the um, of the co-op, and they make the decisions, they vote, they get some return, and so forth and so on. And I think it's a good uh, dis distinction to make, mostly because I, I think that just it, in it legally. You have to, you're running a different kind of organization, and I think people need to understand uh, that aspect of it, right? That when you are setting up your um, paperwork and your um, uh, tax re, uh, process and everything else you're going to be dealing with, that you you have to have uh, maybe different types of legal advice because you're doing a very different entity than if I just want to create it a create a non profit organization. Which they're very right. It, with, yeah. Right. It's not a non profit at all. It's, right. It's for, you know, there are many phone cooperatives in the state of Minnesota, North Dakota mm -hmm. that have been around for 
eighty years. Yes. You know, there's lots of long cooperatives now. And same, in fact, same same distinction. Right. And I think that um, so yesterday I had a conversation with a, a uh, co-op in uh, Michigan, I believe, and um, we we talked about there being a an existing um, co-op. So they've had about twenty eighty years of, of experience, right? And they in that in that eighty years they have built systems and a structure and an infrastructure. Um, helps that helps them do or deliver electricity services, and when it comes time to uh, to then develop a broadband uh, business, it's very easy to 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 bring that on because you have a lot of the same types of um, of uh, systems and so forth, and that I think is a little different than creating a co-op from the beginning to be a a, um, a broadband uh, right. business. Right. I mean, it's, it's we more have a couple of electric cooperatives in the state of Minnesota who have gotten into the broadband business, uh, uh, one through an error grant, through a, a stimulus grant that mm-hmm. was up in the Arrowhead. Oh, and, yes, I remember uh, them. Yeah. So, so you, now, was it difficult... To explain to the constituents what you were doing because of the fact that you have such a like a a somewhat complex um, group a financing structure. Yeah, it it was and it wasn't. They understood and they trusted the cooperative concept. We have five cooperatives in this, in in ours. In my hometown of Windsor, we have five cooperatives that have been around for 100 years. So that part was easy. But when we put together the business plan and we had to explain the business plan and show the cash flow and put people's minds at ease because they are putting their tax dollars on the table and saying, here's here's some collateral for your project. We're willing to do that. So we had to convince them that we had a good business plan. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that took... A, a series of meetings, and it, and it took the involvement of a local banker who is very excited about the project and, and really put together a good uh, presentation. Um, the financing part of this is the hardest part of the entire project. The, okay. The operations and the governance, and that's you know that's kind of a fairly easy to put together. But finding a combination of lenders and uh, to provide up to $45 million over the next six years to build a brand new fiber to the home network is a difficult is a, a difficult challenge. Right. It just is. Now, Minnesota is one of those 20 states that has a restriction on public networks. And, um, as, and as that goes, they're actually less... Um, Restrictive than many states that have, you know, basically no way possible can a public entity actually run a network. My understanding of Minnesota law was that um, you basically have to get uh, do a referendum, but if you get the the referendum passed, then you're okay from the legal standpoint or the legislative standpoint. Um, is that what you guys did as part of the process? Was going all going to each of the cities 
and getting a referendum to say we're going to put our uh, tax money on the line? No. Well, yes and no. I would say more no. Uh, because this is a private venture, Okay. It doesn't. It, 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 there's no uh, a referendum requirement. Uh -huh. That only came into play if it was going to be a municipal or a government-owned uh, phone exchange. Okay. And, and, and some of that language in the Minnesota statutes is very archaic and, and out of date from a, a technology standpoint. So uh, the tax abatement bonds, that process of uh, putting tax dollars uh, on the table to sell a bond and lend it to a private developer, that does not require a public vote. Uh -huh. okay. so, so we didn't have one in that respect, but all of the cities had to notice newspapers and had to hold public hearings and took input, and then they had to make a decision at a public meeting, at a council meeting, to participate in the a program. So, but there was no vote that was required under the geo tax abatement bonds. Okay. That's that's very interesting. I think that um I had a couple of discussions with people about the Minnesota law and for the most part, um even if if it requires a referendum, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I think that doing a uh, I think Lake Lake County did that process, and um, no, they they got it. I don't. No, they didn't. Uh, Cook County did. They had two votes. One failed, and and one didn't. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Uh, the difficulty in the the requirement is Chapter two thirty seven nineteen. If a city is going to own and operate a telephone exchange, that's the that's the language. They must first. They must first get a 65% supermajority in a public vote. Okay. And that was the sticking point. Why wasn't it 50% like any other referendum? Why is it 65%? Well, the phone companies put that in the statutes many years ago to discourage municipals from doing it. Right. Which is okay. Uh, but the language of that 23719 is really outdated now. We're not building a telephone exchange. Right. We're not going to operate a telephone exchange. Someone else is going to do that for us. Uh, there isn't actually a telephone exchange in our network. It's a, it's a soft switch. So uh, we didn't feel we were even uh, subject to that uh, 23719 requirement, even mm -hmm. when it was just the Joint Powers Board doing it. So oh, okay. it's kind of a weak law, mm -hmm. and, and of you know of the states, you're right. This is not a very draconian measure. It's kind of, mm -hmm. it's a kind of passive. Right, um, right. That makes sense. Um, did, did, uh, Craig, Craig, did I send you the steps to financing? No. I'm gonna send that to you right now. Doug, I don't know if you know Doug Dawson. I think you do. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and uh, Bill Coleman, and you may know Bill oh, Coleman. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I put this together for the broadband communities uh, presentation we made, or I made, in uh, Austin uh, last month or the month before. And it's if a community is going to get into the broadband game, in, into the fiber game, here are, here are the steps that they're going to need to take before they can get to finance. And, and so if you want to use parts or all of it, you're welcome to. No problem. And in fact, I think that I'll use this in both the 
um, the book and probably have the full uh, access to the entire document um, from the uh, the book's digital format. And um, people should read because I mean I think it's a it's a big question that people ask, and then once they see that there is a way to to getting to the other side of this process, I think a lot of other people, a lot of other communities, will start to um, to to get on board because even even now there's you know every week you're talking about some new project is getting either getting uh, Reviewed or passed, or actually um, construction is being started, and so you know we just need to get this sort of this tipping point of you know knowledge to help people uh, move forward, which clearly you guys have have done. Um, let me ask one question: um, Hiawatha Broadband, which was one of my guests actually on the show. In the early days uh, of the prod of the um, podcast, and I think they represent or this this deal represents a strategy that I hope that is getting some play, but which is basically um, a community, whether through the co-op or through the municipality, um, a community will get a private provider to build and operate the network but the the, the community contains or retains control of the uh, of the asset of the network um, how did you guys structure your deal with uh, with with Hiawatha, with Hiawatha? Uh, um in a very open and a trusting manner. Uh, there, I don't know if there's another uh, telecommunications company in the United States like HBC. Uh, they are. They, <laughs> they are special. They want to, you know, they are. They want to do great things with technology in rural Minnesota and rural America, and you can trust them. And they want to, and they kind of work for you at the same time you're working for them. And it's a great relationship. We decided early on that. Uh, we have no expertise in this area. This is the way it was going to be with the Joint Powers Board if that had gone through. Mm -hmm. And and we want we wanted a trusted advisor to own, operate, to market, to to do the billing, to really be uh, the ones who manage the entire operation. They have uh, a fairly broad authority to do what needs to be done. They have to report to the board of directors every month, mm, uh, which okay. they do in their own business anyway, mm -hmm. and and they have to meet uh, they have to meet some metrics. You know, there's there's some goals and there's some things out there that they're responsible for, and they have gladly accepted those. And uh, uh, <clears throat> we're you know we we could not have done this without HBC in our corner. It just this would not have happened, mm -hmm. and so we're we're very. Uh, uh, grateful to them. You know, as we got down to the nuts and bolts on the financing and we started to talk to the different banks and lenders and, and organizations interested in providing dollars, the first question they asked was, who's your operator? Mm -hmm. uh, and when we told them HBC, that uh, put them all at ease. 
so uh, they were instrumental in they were instrumental to our success. Um, do you think other community, uh, other um, private companies in the telecom business will do what Hiawatha is up to? I got an email, Craig, yesterday uh, uh, from a, a, a company, and I was just looking for it, and I can't find it, <coughs> based out of Seattle. Hang on a second. Mm-hmm. They're based out of Seattle, and I sent an email to a friend and said, have you heard of these guys? And called the Gigabit Now, a turnkey fiber solution. Hmm. Uh, okay. And I'll send it to you. Um, and, and so there are folks out there as this kind of a fiber to home wave kind of forms. Uh, but you know as well as I do that the uh, ability to uh, uh, create mischief with a, a highly technical and, and, and complicated business like a startup fiber of the home is great. I mean, if you don't do it right, you can end up in a big mess. Mm -hmm. and, and and that's what we don't want. So, you know, it's, it's who do you trust? Right. No, I understand. It's, it's who do you trust? I think one of the things I have advocated with um, communities is that they go out and explore some of the options of the rural telecom world. Because I think that, you know, after they get done posturing about, you know, private uh, government and relationships shouldn't art be, you know, put together and that kind of thing, that I think s smart um, people who actually run a company already, a telecom or a telecom or a telephone company already, that a smart person would say, you know what? Forming an alliance with the the city and the community makes a lot of sense because if you can put together a credible business plan, you've got the demand that's already there, right? And what you need is, is someone that has the technical skills, and it seems like it's a marriage made in heaven. If you just got away from all the rhetoric and, like I said, they they, they actually say, well, look at the reality of the situation, it would seem like it would make a, make a lot of sense. Hey, maybe I'm just, yeah, silly yeah, about you it. Need a, you need a trusted advisor. If you've never done this before, you know, I've never been a brain surgeon before. <laughs> if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be one, I, I, I want a world-class brain uh, surgeon to... I'll do the first 100 for me, and then I'm going to watch. Yeah, there so, you go. Uh, <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that, um, you know, you, you have to have that that expertise. I, I think that right now, the way we approach it, 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 it lends itself to, you know, the big incumbents saying, no, 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 you can't do this, you can't do that, and creating all kinds of, as you mis mentioned, mischief. And then you have, you know, just a lot of people who are understand when there is a market opportunity. And right now you have so many people saying, well, they want better broadband. You know, it's like 
you, you half the battle is is won before you even got off the door. Just you need, but you need some of that person persons to get to put it all together. And um, so, so we decided also early on that the fight to get the network to get it financed and built was the necessary and probably most important step in the process. If you don't have a network, you can't use it. Right. But almost almost as important is once the network's built, how do we leverage it? How do we help our schools? How do we help our healthcare facilities? How do we help our senior citizens? How do we help our businesses and our ag producers out here in this very rural network? So we have been exploring and have created some uh, partnerships with the Blandon Foundation. And you, and you, and you know those guys. They mm-hmm. have provided us with some grant opportunities for uh, some unique uses of the technology in our towns and in our rural areas. And we're also a U.S. Ignite community. Mm-hmm. We're very excited about that because that's going to allow us to develop applications. As we do that, Craig, as we develop these applications and these new services for the network, it's going to be, we think, a, uh, a, a, a differentiator for our business. Why wouldn't you want to be an RS Fiber customer? Not only is it a price as, as low as anybody, it has great customer service, the quality of service is unsurpassed on fiber. You know, it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. The speeds can't be beat. Plus, you can stay in your homes longer if you're a senior. You can visit the doctor. The schools can use it more to their advantage. And the ag producers are going to have special things that they'll be able to do with the network. It's the intranet that's so dynamic and so important in this project. Not the internet, but the intranet right. of our footprint. That's what we're going to leverage, and that's what we're going to use. And we think it will drive customers to our business. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to make it successful. That makes a lot of so sense. So the strategy of... Of coming up with a good business plan around great technology, and then how do you execute it? Mm-hmm. And you execute it with a wonderful uh, company like Hiawatha Broadband, but at the same time, you're also working with them to develop new services that will drive customers to your business in the long run. So we think in the next seven to ten years, we may not be the lowest price provider in the area, but we'll be the dominant provider in the area. Mm-hmm. Now, um, what do you expect the competitive landscape will look like when you guys roll this thing out. And what I mean is um, many of the community networks expect to have a certain amount of pushback. Bigger cities probably have greater pushback than some of the small rural areas, but nevertheless there's, there's some expectation that you know, the the big incumbents will eventually narrow in on them and become dif- difficult. What What's your take on what your competitors are going to be like after you become we, live? Okay. We we think they're going to lower their prices, uh, and that's fine because they're awfully high right now. <laughs> uh, we think that they're going to... Uh, improve their service. Uh, Mediacom is the cable provider in in, uh, eight of the ten towns. Uh, The other two towns aren't served by a cable provider. Uh, They are building building out more fiber on their backbone, not to the home, but in the backbone. I'm I'm sure they'll go with uh, Doxus 3 or Doxus 3.1 and Mm -hmm. improve their speeds. Uh, But 
they're going to try and improve their customer service, and, and that's something that's uh, very difficult for them to do. Uh, CenturyLink is in uh, nine of, uh, eight of the ten towns. Uh, they're very small rural uh, communities. They've already pledged a year and a half ago to upgrading to 15 or 20 meg within three miles of the CO. Uh, we expect them to do that. They said they're not going into the rural areas at all. Uh, our local phone provider has been uh, upgrading their plant and improving their speeds. So we see the competitive response as people improving their networks and trying to improve us, improve their service and their delivery, and we think that's wonderful mm-hmm. because then everybody benefits. Right. And we encourage our competitors to stay in business and because we like the competition. It keeps us on our toes, or it will keep us on our toes. Uh, but uh, we, we just don't know how they're going to be able to match the quality of service and the customer service that our local network is going to provide. And, uh, I, you know, we expect them to respond as they have in other situations. So. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I saw in an article uh, where it talks about, you know, you guys having local offices and local people to provide around-the-clock uh, tech support um, and even adding uh, mobile offices in order to make sure there's there's enough uh, support. Um, that seems pretty... Um, well, number one, it sounds very dedicated. Um, is that a is that gonna be a bit of a stretch to make this um, available, or do you see it as there the the benefits will will bear this all out? Of this is the way to go. I think it's the way to go, and I think it's really I want the broadband who has proposed that, and they have the resources to make it happen. Oh, and I don't okay. want you to get the idea that. I think that we're going to blow away the competition and this will be easy and, you know, we're not worried about anything. Uh, this will be a lot of hard work and it will take a, a lot of dedicated planning and effort by a lot of people to be successful and we know that. But Hiawatha Broadband uh, has the resources now to provide the 24-7 a tech support uh, with the local number mm-hmm. and we, uh, so we feel comfortable there. Uh, we also uh, have an advanced uh, fiber network, so a, a lot of the troubleshooting, a lot of the uh, s- service call items can be handled uh, via the network. Uh, plus, we're, we're going to provide, we're, we're going to develop some innovation centers and some maker spaces in, 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 in our communities, and we're going to provide an opportunity for adults and students, especially students, to learn. Uh, to learn about technology, to learn uh, code writing, to learn application development, to learn how to become a a help desk personnel for RS Fiber. So mm-hmm. we want to provide opportunities for people within our communities to uh, grow as well. But we we think that HPC knows what they're doing, and 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 we think that this is going to uh, be a workable solution. This twenty four seven tech support. Mm-hmm. Now, a number of communities I've talked to have mentioned that having local people provide local support to the broadband network is 
a um, is a marketing um, benefit, and it is a you know customer satisfaction benefit. Um, is that generally accepted? That yes, having local people is a big um, market advantage for for a uh, for the community network. Yes, I I think that is, and and in the beginning they won't be local local. They won't be out of these small towns. They'll be out of Winona. Mm-hmm. But as we grow and and the network gets built, it'll take you know uh, a, a two and a half years just to build out the towns. As we grow the network and we grow customers and we grow opportunities, it will become more local local. Uh, yeah, I I think that's a great advantage. Uh, one of the things we hear and and one of the things that we have lived through ourselves is. Uh, and, it's the, and it's the nature of their business, the customer service from the large telcos and the customer service from the larger cable calls is very problematic. It, it's, it's very frustrating, it's, it's very difficult, and it leaves people uh, in angry moods sometimes when they have to call up customer service for a cable company or a large phone company. So. Yeah, we, we think that will be a marketing advantage. Right, because, I mean, I think ultimately the bottom line is the nature of how the uh, big cable companies and telecom companies is such that they can't develop that kind of uh, localized service because it's it's like the antithesis of their actual their being. Right. You know, they can't. Right. And... Um, and then people need to understand that. I, I think the people, some folks don't fully gas, grasp the fact that they're unable to do what they want. It's, right. it's not even like the, you know they have desire or not. It's just you know. Um, one of the things that the, the you want you have there is that you have local um, banks involved, and we did a. I did a show uh, about a week or so ago that looked at um, local banks becoming a primary part of the funding strategy. Can your from you talk about you know what kind of benefits you've had by having local banks, and is there a a future of sorts in Local banks getting involved in these kinds of projects elsewhere. Having the local banks involved in our project is a positive. It's 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 a it's a good thing because it lets people know that uh, there are people living among them who think this is a good idea and they're willing to invest their money. Mm-hmm. It's, the, mm-hmm. it's the same thing we do with an equity drive from the a cooperative. We ask local people to put up money as equity for the, a, a project, and that's a, a good message to send, right? You know, a, this is a good project. My bank's willing to invest in it. Um, I don't know what that is. You know, I've been to a number of these conferences nationally, and I remember once down in Tampa, Florida, a couple of years ago, they had CEO of the three very large banks up on the stage in a in the main session, and all three of them said the same thing: "When you have a sure thing, we'd be happy to lend you money." <laughs> you 
you bring us a sure bet, you bring us one that you can prove won't fail, and we'll be happy to lend you the money. Otherwise, we're not interested. They won't. This is about two years ago. Right. They, they're not interested in startups. They're not interested in, in you know, uh, those kinds of things. There's uh, too much risk. We got lucky, and we put together a plan. We we uh, marketed this idea of a fiber of the home network for three years. Uh, we mailed out 14,000 fiber of the home council fiber primers. Uh, we held over 100 public meetings. We ran advertisements in newspapers. We had billboards. We was on the radio. We held private meetings. We made presentations. And people got it. And people saw that this was important. And we have over 56% of the people in the area who have turned in a punch card saying they will support the, a business. And when you go to banks and when you're part of a local conversation where that kind of support and enthusiasm is around you, it's easier to convince the banks that this is something worth lending for. So I don't know if the local banks, I think they could play a role, but you got to have a a good business plan. You have to have a good project. You know, those steps to financing things that we sent out, you know, there's some very difficult steps there. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. uh in the end, you're asking somebody to lend you a whole bunch of money <laughs> on something that's that's really brand new right. in some respects. And if you don't have your ducks in a row, you know they're they're just not going to be interested. No, I, and that makes well, a lot I don't of sense. know, Craig. I just don't know. I, I think a local bank now part of our process, and I can't talk much about this right now because it just happened. But uh, we have a local bank. It's a federal bank. We have a bank over in Fairfax. It's a federally owned, it's a, a federally a chartered bank. It's owned by a gentleman who lives in Fairfax. And he wanted to make an equity investment in the cooperative and, and the Office of Currency Controller, which regulates him, uh, didn't allow it. Hmm. So he asked for a rule change. And they have since in the last month uh, decided that federally chartered banks under a, a certain set of circumstances, which are not too difficult to me, can make an equity investment in a local fiber cooperative. So we're excited about that prospect, but I don't know how long that might take to uh, propagate out there. Right. But I, I think it's a good start. And um, Yeah. And I think, you know, compared to where we were, say, three years ago, you know, the fact that there are a number of uh, networks that have proven themselves, yes. this, is a, this is a big factor. And I think that then you have, so as, you, as you've built up the track record, and then now you have one or two um, projects that are being funded by local banks, that builds up the, uh, the more, the, um, you know, expectation even more that, that well, we can probably do right. this, right? And, and, I think, and, and the other thing we have going on in our favor are people like you, Craig, <laughs> who talk about these things in a very honest and open way and, and a point to the works and say, that didn't work out, but then point to the successes and say, look what's happening here. And, and, and what you do is very valuable to this whole process of developing uh, a fiber of home networks around the country. So, yeah, there's a lot of things working on our favor, and you're one of them. Well, I appreciate well, it very much. Um, there's, there's two things I want to talk about. Let's let's start with um, partnerships. 
right? We did it. We talked about partnerships in one of my recent shows, and you guys have um, you have devo- developed, I guess, a game plan that um, you're looking to uh, the network to benefit uh, public safety entities, um, healthcare organizations, uh, the public school, or with it, I'm sorry, the the public, private, and the charter schools. Um, can you talk about each one of those areas and how you see um, the network uh, benef- benefiting themselves, those communities, and also maybe a little bit of talk of how you have maybe have identified particular partnerships in each of those areas that they will help uh, we achieve those benefits. Okay, uh, uh, the the project started because the city councils uh, in the area wanted to see this done because they want to do something for economic development. They want to do something for lifestyle, and in that process of just thinking what a city needs to do, you know, it's schools, it's health care, senior citizens, it's these natural kinds of, of groups and constituents that kind of popped up and said, you know, wow, these are important groups in our, so we're going to be partners with them in the sense that we're going to drive this network for their benefit. Mm-hmm. And ag producers, you know, this is a very ag county. Ag is everything here. It's, it's corn and soybeans and and, uh, and hogs and uh, uh, cattle and, you know, that's the predominant industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, that was a natural. Hang on a second. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Nope, no worries. Hang in there. I went on a little mute there. I had a tickle in my throat. So it, the process of identifying the project naturally led us to identify these uh, community partners. Mm, okay. You know, if if we want to help ourselves, we got to help our, our our children. Well, that's education. You know, it, and we have to help everybody. Well, that's healthcare. That's mm-hmm. universal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and ag is everything here. So let's. Let's find ways to help ag. And as we went out to these people and told this story, sincerely, because if you're not sincere about it, you're dead. Yeah, yeah I can believe and, that. Right. In a small town, if you stand up and say something and you're not sincere about it, they will see through you like a hot knife through butter. <laughs> and uh, and so this was our focus, and we were upfront and honest about it, and people got it. They said yes. You know, not only do I want a faster internet speed, not only do I want a local high school sports on my TV channels, but I want to go to the doctor. I want my mom to live her home longer. I want my kids to have opportunities. So uh, people saw it, and, you know, I always I tell the one story about the lady in Green Isle, which is one of the smaller cities. It was our last public meeting of, of the big round of them we did. This was uh, two years ago. And or two and a half maybe, and and she raised her hand at the end of the meeting, at the end of the presentation, and said, "Can I go door to door for you with these pledge cards in Green Isle?" And well, absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> that'd be wonderful. So the next day, I brought her a whole stack of these pledge cards, and said, "Where did that come from?" And she said, "Well, I read the primer and I listened to your presentation, and it just hit me. 
this is the biggest no-brainer I've ever seen in my life. Why wouldn't we do this? No one else is going to do it for us. And it, and it affects everything. And she's right. And uh, people got it. It's, it's that universally, it, it's just seen as, a, as transformative technology. Mm-hmm. It's like electricity was. You know, I, here's another story, Craig. And I don't want to bore you, no, 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 but no, I was talking. I was talking to a gentleman one day, and he's probably in his late 70s. And he said, "I remember standing on the edge of the driveway of my family farm back in the 30s. The young lad. I was standing there with my father and my grandfather, and they were talking to the electrification guy, the guy that was gonna." bring electricity to the farms. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother, or my grandfather says, uh, we don't need your stinking electricity. We have candles and we have kerosene and we do just fine. We don't need your newfangled technology. Go elsewhere, basically. And he said, 30 days later, my dad and I got in a truck and we chased this electric guy all over the county trying <laughs> to find him and say, please, please, please bring electricity to our farm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's this process of understanding what the opportunity is. Mm-hmm. And when you can understand the opportunity and see the benefit, you naturally want something in your life that's better than what's there now, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, let me ask a question. Your, your pledge cards, what's, what's that about? Oh, we, we uh, I can send you one. We, we, we haven't used them for about three years, but we... We sent out pledge cards. We offered them uh, on the internet. Uh, if you you set your name and address, and you, you I I want to take these one, two, or three services, voice, video, or data, uh, and you build this, and, and I will become a customer. It wasn't a binding contract, but it was an indication of the support that was out there. Okay. And we got 62% of the people in the rural areas to return pledge cards, and we got 50. Three or fifty-two percent of the folks in the towns to turn them in. So fifty-six percent overall said they would support the network. Well, you know, we also think that once we start to build this, and we say to people, if you hook up now, the, the fiber to your home is free and the installation is free. But if you wait two weeks, it's going to cost you five hundred dollars. We think more and more people will <laughs> want the fiber to their home. And so we think that 56% in the end is going to be low, you know, and we only need around 35 or 40% to be at break even. Right. So pretty much so your money. In a business plan on one hand, you need 40% for break even, and on the other hand, you have 56% of the people who said they'd be interested in taking the services. You can make a pretty good taste to somebody lending you the money that, you know, it's a good, and you got HPC and you got US Ignite, you know, so we we feel good about it. No, I, and, and as you well, you should. I mean, that's a um, you know, you have good planning, you have identified your your need, um, you you have people pledging uh, their support, and and they're and they're pledging at numbers uh, way beyond the break-even point. So right. you know, it's a, and then then historically. You know, there are so many cities, once they start going, and then they find out that the demand almost overwhelms them, then, you know, it, it, if you look that look at that, and then you kind of say, 
well, if this is going other in other places where you know they have a, a demonstrated lead, then I think that we're we're running a pretty good business, you know, yeah. thing there. Yeah. It's a great opportunity, Craig. Okay. Well, I'm going to wrap, wrap with with a one clo uh, ap uh, close here. I wanted to talk about the um, the wireless part of your network um, because there's always, or maybe there's less now, but there I know definitely three, four years ago, you know, there was one camp of people who were supporting wireless, and there's another camp of people saying only fiber, only fiber. Um, is your approach meaning that you have both together and deploy where they make sense is the way is the way to go because you're talking about what did you say twenty or twenty five megs wireless I mean that's not yep. you know that's that's pretty good that's but, pretty good and it's symmetrical and it's a rock solid is what they call it because it's so because it, it it's the uh, radios are connected to the fiber backbone. So mm -hmm. as the demand on the cell site increases, as more people use more, it bursts up in speed. So it's 25 megs symmetrical that really doesn't slow down as you get more people on it. Mm -hmm. And it's also phone service. That's an interim service for us. You know, the most expensive part of our project is to build fiber to the farm. Right. Around, it averages $10,000 per farm site. Wow. But if, so we're going to build the backbone in all the cities, and then on the water towers and on some grain legs along the backbone, we're going to put up these radios, and we're going to provide about 90% of the rural area with 25 meg symmetrical wireless, which they don't have, and phone service, and at a at a reasonable price, and and that's going to tie them over until 2018. We're going to take the revenue from that service and put it back into the business. We're going to we're going to get these customers, you know, we will have them as customers, these, these farm sites. And in 2018, when the townships put their geotax abatement dollars into the equation, we'll build out these farms with fiber to the home. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's an interim technology step for us. Uh, right. We're going to we're gonna leverage our backbone with this wireless play to the rural areas for a period of three years, and then we're going to go back and uh, and fill in the, the rural areas with fiber. Well, it sounds like you guys have really done an awesome job at the planning of all the various contingencies, realities, what some of the you know opportunities now versus the future I mean, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> HBC has been instrumental in it. Doug Dawson, you know, Doug. Doug's been great to work with. He, he, you know, we've learned from the mistakes of of different projects, and we've looked at the successes of others and said that's what we want to replicate. So we think we have a solid plan going forward. Uh, we're and, and we're and we're getting ready to execute. I think in the next three weeks they'll be putting fiber in the ground here. Well, that's that's just awesomeness. I can't I cannot say enough good things about this kind of um uh network. I mean I think one of the things I you know, I wrote the book about um wireless back when the the wireless Wi Fi was gonna be the way everything was gonna be right. there. 
and um, and there were a lot of expectations. I think that were not founded. The the hope was good. The need was clearly you know needed. Um, but I think what was lacking was the realistic planning of a lot of communities, which then led to their downfall. And the the you probably can't emphasize enough the need for having good planning and people who are good at planning coming in to make this thing work. I mean that that to me seems to be like the crux of it all. And uh, uh and it's and it's your partners in, in that effort. You're absolutely right, Craig. We've learned from you. We uh, read your book. We've learned from HBC. Uh, we've learned from our consultant. We've learned from Calix. You know, a, a Calix, who you're uh, writing this this for, you know, has developed their technology looking into the future too, and 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 they want their uh, customers to be wildly successful. So they have been a a big help in this. They, you know, you look with David Russell, and you know, you ask him things, and he gives you straight answers, and and you make your plans on it, you can bank on it. Always a good thing. Always a good thing. Well, I'm going to let you go, but I want to thank you for uh, your time because uh, you know, I mean, I, I able I'm able to do the kinds of uh, things that I do because people like you give your time and, and insight and so forth. And I think that it's just you know, it's a wonderful thing that you guys are doing, and uh, I appreciate, and I'm pretty sure the audience for the radio show appreciate your uh, candor. And uh, and your spirit, good lord, the spirit is awesome uh, too. Um, I appreciate that, um, and and um, and we. And if you ever 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 have a question, email it to me. I'll be happy to answer it. If, if you want to have another conversation, don't hesitate to call back. Excellent. Um, as you put your radio show together off of the, of, of various bits of the last hour, and you write your book, please, 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 uh, downplay me and and. Play up the uh, the team nature of this. All the different people that came in, HPC and Bill Python, the banker, and Doug Dawson, and all the people who stepped up on the cooperative board. And they met a, a weekly for months. You know, they put tons of time into this. Uh, don't don't make me seem the guy that got this done. This was a complete team team effort by everyone. Well, I definitely, I'll definitely make that way up the point. All right. Thanks very much. You have a good day. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. All righty. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.